And so we pick it up in verse 8, and I want to read through verse 11. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a fascist man after the first and second warning, knowing that such a man's perverted and is sinning being self-condemned. Let's pray. Our Father, it is a privilege to once again study the Word of God. We thank you for all the reminders this morning of why we're here. It is because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of your love. It is because of your mercy. And Father, we are many members, but one member in the body of Christ, those who have believed. And it's our desire to know more of you, know more of what you want for us. We have the privilege of having this book and studying it, and I pray that as we get into this passage this morning, that once again the Spirit of God would be our teacher, and that, Father, what things we learn today together, we would be able to apply in our lives. We commit the study of your word. We also want to pray for Dante Rosso's wife and family as they're making arrangements and pray and as he's home with you now and enjoying the fruits of his labors, we pray for his family back home and ask that you just encourage and comfort and uh, help them during this difficult time. Be with us now as we study the word, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I just turned the mic on now, so it may go up for a second. We've entitled this morning's message, and it'll probably go into next week just because it's Communion Sunday, but points of emphasis um, in business, in officiating, uh, in all kinds of areas of life, in all areas, I should say, of life, oftentimes there are areas when there's a business meeting that have to be emphasized and are of special interest and need special attention. And even as you watch athletic events on TV, I can assure you, being a referee, that those men spend time, and women spend time in sessions in which they are given the points of emphasis, the main things that they want to concentrate on in a particular sport. And for example, a lot of you probably forgotten it and want to forget it. Some of you don't even know anything about it. But Early on in the season when the Patriots were playing, there was a call that was made that cost, affected the outcome of the game when one player pushed another player when they were trying to block a field goal attempt. And that was the only time it was ever called, and it's still the only time it's ever been called, but the only reason I'm even bringing it up is what was said immediately after that is that was a point of emphasis that the officials were told to enforce this year. Well. I'm saying that because now as we come near the end of the epistle, we come to Paul's final exhortation. And as he's coming to this exhortation, it is a point of emphasis that he wants to give to Titus. Now let's again understand Titus is on an island. He's in the island of Crete. He doesn't have a library to go to. 
He does not have his New Testament epistles to pick up. He doesn't have that information. He's given a letter right now by the Apostle Paul because he was left there with a purpose. And that purpose was to establish elders in every city, to build the people up on the doctrine, and also to help them how to have both not only sound doctrine, but sound living. And so throughout the book, he's been teaching that. And now he wants to, as he comes to the end of it with his last exhortation, he wants to stress something to Paul, uh, to Titus, so that he would really grasp it and apply it. And I do think that as we come to 2014, to the beginning of a, good, a new year, that there's some points of emphasis here that are good for us to tune into. Last week we were challenged, again, on some things moving into the new year. But I think this text also helps us with that. And Paul has really three points of emphasis. If you're looking at your bulletin and you see the outline I have there, what to promote, what to avoid, and what to reject. He starts with the positive in this text this morning on what Titus should be promoting. What is really important? And I think that's a good place for us to begin, even as we go into the new year. What is important for us as believers? What should we be emphasizing? Well, let's read verse 8 again. He said, this is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, and I'll refer to that in a second, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed, notice that, God will be careful to engage, believe God, excuse me, will be careful to engage in good deeds. He says this is a trustworthy statement. This is something that you can rely upon. It, upon. it was a very common statement that the Apostle Paul used. And it has the concept of being committed to it. If you go back to chapter 1 of Titus, I want you to see an, another root of the word that was used. It's found in verse 3 of Titus chapter 1. He says, but at the proper time manifested, even his word, in the proclamation with which I was entrusted. That's the same root. Entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. The Apostle Paul was entrusted in something, and he wanted Titus to see that. And now as he's closing the epistle, he uses the same thing. This is something that is to be trusted and is to be committed to. It is something that we are to be involved in. Now he says these things. So first let's understand what he's talking about. Concerning these things, what things? The things that Paul has been teaching. And one of the things, first of all, that we should be committed to is obviously the gospel. We ought to be committed and that ought to be a focus of our attention as believers. The gospel, you say, why? He just taught about that. Remember he said for we also once, look at verse 3, were foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived. And then verse 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior in his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. And so one of the points of emphasis right away is the gospel. And we need to see that ourselves. They needed to be reminded. That's what the communion service was all about. Why do we do this once a month? Is it something that's going to improve our relationship to get us to heaven? No. Is it something that's just routine that we end up carrying out? Oftentimes that's true because we don't think about it. But it has a purpose, and the Lord knew that we would forget who we were and who we are now. We would forget what God has done for us because it's so 
far in our past if you've been saved a while. And so he wanted him, verses 1 through 6, to understand that these things are to be committed to. What is that? The gospel. Also the fact that we closed on this one, verse 7, and that is that we are heirs with God. Look at verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are heirs. We lose the perspective of that. This is not our home. We are the aliens. We are the sojourners. We often do not live like that. We often live like this is where we will be forever. We invest our time, our energy, our finances most of the time into stuff which won't mean anything. When we need to be investing on things above, with our mind, with our heart, with our time, with our finances. Why? Because things that are eternal are what really matter. And we need to remember that our inheritance, you may in this room, there may be people in this room that will get a large inheritance from their parents, their grandparents or whatever, but one day. And that'll, that'll be fine and you'll be able to enjoy that in this world, but that's all you'll be able to enjoy. The inheritance that we have in Christ, we're to be reminded of that and emphasize that, that we have things that are, according to the scriptures, it's undefiled, never fades away, it's reserved in heaven for us. It's treasures that will not rust. There's no moth. They will never corrupt, reserved in heaven for us. And so we ought to be emphasizing those things in our personal lives and in our church life. We ought to be emphasizing the gospel of Christ. We ought to be emphasizing the fact that we are heirs with Christ. And he's also taught, and I won't go back there into the depth of it, but in prior to chapter 3, in, in chapters 2 through one, verse 1 all the way through the end, he's taught how we were to live. Older men, younger men, older women, younger women. And he's taken the time. So when he comes into verse 8 and he says, this is a trustworthy statement. We ought to be committed to this. What? The things that he's been teaching. That those things, concerning these things, that is the gospel, our airship, and how we ought to live, we are to be involved in. And he says to Titus, speak confidently. And literally that word means to insist. That's what it means. It comes from the word to stress. To stress is a point. That's where I got my uh, title from. It was from this word. To me, it means to stress, to make it a point of emphasis, to speak confidently and insist on this. If you look at chapter 2, verse 15, <coughs> for just a moment, very similar expression. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. That's the point he's trying to give to Titus. Titus is on this island alone by himself. He's isolated. He doesn't have all of the New Testament scriptures. He has the instruction that Paul's given him. He's there by himself, and he, in a sense, might feel lonely on an island where he's got no one else to look to. There are other believers there, but remember, the island of Crete, they were known as liars. They were filled with immorality. There was all kinds of things that he was facing, and how was he to live in that environment? Well, he was to live by proclaiming the gospel. He was to live by remembering where his inheritance was and not get discouraged by everything around him. And he was to live for the glory of God. And he was to insist 
on the things that are going to be spoken about right now. And I want you to notice this also. When he says that he is to speak in uh, chapter 3, verse 8, and he is to speak confidently out of stress and insist, he says this, so that those who have believed God, who's he talking to? Believers. This message is for me. This message is for you if you are a believer in Christ today. And we need to get this. A point of emphasis going into a new year. A point of emphasis in our life. A point of emphasis for Titus on the island of Crete. For believers, this is not just for unbelievers. It's not for those who haven't yet been saved. It's not for those who are apart from God or and still dark. What is it? Here it is. The positive. He says, we'll be careful to engage in good deeds. Have you got that? He says, I want you to stress good deeds. You've got to be kidding me. No. No. He says, in fact, when he says to be careful, that is the word devoted. He says, I want you to stress in your teaching and for the people that know God to be absolutely committed to good deeds. Now, if we're honest, that is a problem. You say it shouldn't be. It is. We have to be honest. There is so much emphasis on the fact that you cannot be saved by good deeds. And that is true. We heard it again this morning. Pastor Chris, Chris I thought was going to preach the message that I have a few minutes ago. But that's what it says in Titus. We're not saved by good deeds. There is no good deed that can bring us in relationship to God to heaven. None. Not going to church, not reading your Bible, not helping people across the street, not shoveling for somebody. None of that will get us into heaven. And we understand that in evangelical circles. And we emphasize that. But you know what the problem is? We emphasize it so much that we throw out good deeds. And we look at one passage in Isaiah and turn around and say, all my uh, deeds are like filthy rags. It's true. When it comes to righteousness with God, and we fail to see how the New Testament emphasizes to the believer that his life is to be committed. Yes, you don't get saved by good works, but every believer almost ignores good works because of that. And we kind of go astray, like we think that just because we read our Bible and we go to church, we've satisfied everything with God. Not at all. We often view good deeds as something bad. We don't want to say that out loud, but we do, almost as if it's a problem. When we should be, as believers above all people, devoted, committed to good works. Not for salvation, but as an evidence of who we are. Look at Titus just alone. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Look at what he's been telling him. In verse 14. Who gave himself, that is God, for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Yeah, there it is. And to purify to himself a people, watch this, for his own possession. We understand that. I belong to him. But notice the end of the verse. What does it say? Come on. 
Zealous for what? Good works. Are you zealous for good works? Are, are we so saturated with the concept that good works can't save us that we never even think about good works? We never even think about doing good? Please, again, don't misunderstand me. There is no good works that saves a person. But good works have every part of the Christian life. Every part. Look at Titus chapter 1. Look at verse 16. It's been all through this book. And I was waiting until the emphasis to really spend the time on it. In verse 16, watch this. This is how unbelievers were identified. Watch. They professed to know God, but by their what? Deeds or good works, they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good work, a good deed. The sign of an unbeliever was that they said they knew God and their life had no good works. Good works doesn't save, but it is every part of the Christian life. It's what God has called us to do. You say, well, I thought God called us to know him. Yes, don't, don't misunderstand what we talked about. Our emphasis should be the gospel. We should be speaking the gospel to others. We should be emphasizing that our inheritance is in heaven. And we should be emphasizing that every believer, chapter 3, everyone who professes to know God be involved in good works. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them, who? Believers, all of chapter 2, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for what? You don't want to say it, right? You're afraid of it. You're afraid of it. Pastor Dan, all he talked about was good works this morning. Absolutely, because we never do. Think about it. When's the last time you saw another believer encouraging you to be involved in good works? We look at good works as that's something that goes into an area that we don't want to talk about those words unless we make it very clear that nobody can get saved by good works because that's true. But our life is one that is called to good works. You know the passage, but let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. Why? We need to see it. What should we be emphasizing this year? What should we be emphasizing in our life? If you're a believer, let's see the good works. Not for salvation. Chapter 2, I read this morning in verses, to open up the service, verses 4 through 7, right? God's rich in mercy, verse 4. Even when we were dead, we understand that. By grace you were saved, verse 5. He's raised us up, verse 6. So in the ages have come, we might experience the riches of his grace. We love that. And then Pastor Chris, when he got to the piano, said verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Watch. Not a result of works, so that anyone would bless. Uh, excuse me, boast. So that no one would boast. What's the idea? You do not get to heaven by good works. You do not get to heaven by doing anything. God did it all. He sent his son. He's provided. But if you stop there, fellow Christian, you are missing the boat. Why? Look at the very next two verses. 
I'm sorry, verse, next verse. For reason, we are his workmanship. You see, he saved us. He did it all. Created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? What's the next two words? Good works. You have been created for that purpose. Created where? In Christ, which God prepared beforehand so that we would what? Walk in them. God expects us to be walking in good works. God expects the believer. He saved us, not as a result of good. See, this is what the Pharisees and Sadducees missed. They thought by keeping the law and by, and by keeping everything to a T, they could win satisfaction with God when their hearts were terrible, when their minds were filled with sin, when their lives were filled with sin, and they thought they were right with God. And God points out that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. You can't save yourself, and you can't save yourself by good works. You can only be saved by the power of God and by the work of God, by the mercy and grace of God, by putting faith in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. However, he doesn't discount the good works. He said, now as a believer, you're to show that. Aren't we to be a light to the world? Isn't that what God's called us to be? How many of you have done that with your children? Let this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And then you get to Philippians and it says, we are to let our light shine brightly in the midst of what? A crooked and perverse generation. Titus, to put it in the context, on the island of Crete was to let his light shine on the island of Crete in the midst of liars, in the midst of idolaters, in the midst of immorality, and he was to let his light shine. How? By teaching believers to perform good works. You say, I don't think so. Really? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. What is Matthew chapter 5? Somebody? Beatitudes. Right. All right? Here's the blessed man. Here's the man that's really happy. Here's the one. And we talk, when we, when we talk about it, those that are poor in spirit, those that mourn, we understand that. And he's going through. And here's the blessed people. And then he comes down to verse 13 and says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, verse 14. And get down to verse 16 now. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see what? Your good works. And what will that result in? Glorifying your Father who is in heaven. You want to let your light shine? How do I let my light shine in this world? By just being quiet at work? No, by doing your work the way you should as unto the Lord. And by doing good works. It is woven in and out throughout the New Testament, not for salvation, but as a result of salvation. And what he's telling him as he's closing this epistle, he said, look at it again. Go back to Titus chapter 3. This is a trustworthy st statement. You can rely on this. Concerning these things, you are to emphasize it, speak it conf confidently, so that those who will believe will be careful. They will be committed to this. What? To engage in good deeds. That's what he's looking for. Believers should be engaged in good deeds. That, my friend, is Christianity in action.
Christianity, you've heard it before in the message in this book and many times in this pulpit, whether it was here or North Andover, that you don't get saved by good works, but Christianity is not sterile. It is not sitting at home reading your Bible all the time and not doing anything. If you just come here, this church, for example, and all you do is sit in a pew, and then you go home and you go your way and you say, I'm saved, I got an inheritance of heaven, and your light isn't shining. How is that light to shine? By the way people look at you at work, by the way people view your marriage, by the way people watch how you handle your children, by the way you help your neighbors, by the way you are reaching out and being exposed in this world. Very recently in this school, as you've heard, this past year, this school has been involved in community outreach. I'll be honest with you. Fundamentalism is afraid of community outreach. It is. And we need to be more involved in it. We need to be seen, not for the sake of being seen, not for the, for the sake of adding to our salvation, because that is what people look at. And I'll give you some biblical examples before I give you some other challenges. How was it that people knew Joseph was being blessed by God? Look at it in the Old Testament in Genesis. It was by the way he behaved. He handled himself right even before Potiphar. He handled himself right when he was in jail. Look at David. What was the evidence that he really had a relationship with God? It's the way he took care of the sheep. It's the way he took care of a battle. I don't come with power and sword. You're coming at me nine foot nine with a sword that's as big as me. I'm coming at you with a little stone. Why? The battle's the Lord's. I'm just coming so my works are seen in a such a way that I'll stand not in my power but in God's power. And the whole nation saw it. You say, well, that's the Old Testament, Pastor Dan. Really? Take the time and read about Timothy in the New Testament. Before Paul selected Timothy, do you know what he knew about him? The text is very clear. Paul knew that Timothy had an outstanding reputation of performing good works among the people. He knew the guy was committed. The evidence was seen in the life. And so what are we saying? As he's closing this epistle, the first thing of point of emphasis is a very positive thing. Emphasize to those who say they believe in God that they are to be committed to a life of good works. And on the island of Crete, that was greatly needed. Let me tell you that in Methuen, Massachusetts, it's greatly needed. In Pelham, New Hampshire, it's greatly needed. In Salem, New Hampshire, it is greatly needed. In Lawrence, Massachusetts, it is greatly needed. In all the other surrounding towns and the towns that are represented here. And you're the shining light that's there. Let me ask you something. Honestly, when is the last time you were engaged in really good works? Let me give you practical things. When's the last time you snowblowed or went snowblowing to your neighbor when they might have needed it? When's the last time you went and visited a neighbor that was sick, a person at work? When's the last time you took a meal to somebody that was in need? 
Those are good works, folks. When's the last time? Oh, you've witnessed to them, but when's the last time you helped someone with repairs? How's the unbeliever going to know? They say, well, I just spoke the gospel. Yeah, and while they had a need, you walked away because you were too busy. Because I was too busy. That's towards the lost. You know often what happens? It's sad. And the scriptures say this is what we're not to do. We're not to resent those that we're trying to reach. Oftentimes we resent those that are doing good works. I saw something on the television, like you, probably, the last few days with all the weather. It wasn't a little cold. You think it's cold here? Hey, Scott, have you looked at where your, your children are out in the 17 below? In uh, North Dakota, by the way, the high today, the high before the wind chill factor, some of you probably saw it, is going to be 19 below before the wind chill factor. That's just the high. Okay? Well, it's been cold, there's been snow. And one of the things I caught and going through the news and watching the news was there was a gentleman, I don't know whether he's saved or he's unsaved, but a gentleman in Boston, Boston News brought him on, and he is committed to, he has this group that he's formed, and they went around and they were shoveling out all of the senior citizens who couldn't get out to shovel out. That's a good deed, folks. I don't know whether the guy's unsaved or not. What had happened? Even the news caught on. This is unusual. Something's different about this guy. Oftentimes, we despise that. We need to reach the unsaved. If you have a neighbor that's a liar, you have a neighbor or a fellow worker that's involved in adultery, you have a neighbor, you have a fellow worker that's involved in thievery or whatever sin you might want to talk about, and you want to win them to Christ, the way you're going to win them isn't just by preaching the gospel, it's being by kind to them. It's by winning them over with love. You notice what he says. He says in verse 8, he says at the end, these things, what things? The things to emphasize, such as the gospel, such as our inheritance, and what? Good works, specifically in verse 8. These things are good and profitable. They benefit what? All men. They are benefiting men. They're beneficial for men. And again, I ask, when's the last time that you did anything other than a relative? You did anything good to help someone out. There's so many different ways you can do it. I mentioned a couple of little practical things like visiting. And even in the household of God. You know, oftentimes, and there's nothing wrong with this, I want you to just understand the context. Oftentimes I'll get a call and, Pastor Dan, I want you to know that so-and-so is in a hospital. And I really appreciate that. And by the way, you need to let me know because there are times that I don't know and I never get to visit them and then I get the other side of it. You never came to visit me. Well, I didn't even know you were in there. Well, I just figured you'd know it. How am I supposed to know? But the other thing is when I get those calls, you know what? Think about this. When you're calling Pastor Dan and asking him to go visit so-and-so, why don't you visit them as well? Why don't you help them out as well? Maybe so-and-so can't get out. They're stuck. They, they can't uh, be shoveled out. How about you getting in your car with a shovel and going out and shoveling them out? Well, I, I, I'm busy. I'm busy. See? 
This is the will of God. That's what he's saying. The will of God both for you and for me. This is part of the cause of Christ, reaching out and having a life that is involved in good works. That's what he says in verse 8. It's a good place to start as a point of emphasis in my life, in your life, in our church life, in the school's life, that we have a life that is emphasizing the things we really should be emphasizing. What? The gospel. When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time I've shared the gospel? When's the last time I've really thought about the inheritance that I have in heaven? When is the last time I've really purposely sought to be engaged in good works? Realizing it has nothing to do with salvation. It doesn't. But it has everything to do with letting my light shine. That may be the very reason that your fellow worker turns around and wants to know a little bit more about Christ. Why? Because of the way that you've treated them. A lot of professing believers say they witness to people, but they never help the people that they could. They'll take any help that comes their way, but are never ready to go out and help anybody else. And our excuses are as long as a Christmas list, or longer. Our time's really gone away, and it's probably good to end on a positive this morning, because that's his first point of emphasis. Are we engaged in good works? Folks, believers in Christ, get involved. Be involved in your neighbor's lives. Be involved. You say, well, my neighbors don't even want to talk to me. That's okay. I don't think they're going to refuse if you go help them if they're shoveling. I don't think they're going to refuse. Well, they might think it's poison if you gave them a cake, but they're probably going to eat it. <laughs> I don't think so. You know what I'm saying. Or if you hear of a neighbor going to the hospital. How about if we do that for one another? Can you imagine the strength of this church? If we just had 10 people here, think about it. Only 10 people in this service, and it was only 10 people in the church, and those 10 people were so committed to be concerned for one another, to be ready to help one another, to be involved in good works, not because we're trying to win favor with God, but because that should be a result in our life, how strong the church would be and what the effect would be on the outside. The other stuff is fluff. Christianity needs to be seen in action. Might we be committed dedicated to good works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and God, I know that I've fallen short in this area. And I'm sure each of us, if we're honest and even think about when's the last time we did anything for anybody, it doesn't matter how old we are or how young we are. Father, you have called us to good works. You told Paul to tell Titus to tell those people on the island of Crete who profess to know God to be committed to good works. Lord, the distinction between the unbeliever and the believer was that unbelievers professed to know God and their works denied him, their actions, their lives. I pray, Father, that as we go into 2014, as individual people, as a church, we might have better sensitivity and more concern about letting our works be seen, that the fruit would be seen, that the light would be seen to those we come in contact with all the time. 
so that they would glorify our Father, so that they would turn to you, so that we would have the opportunity to present the gospel as to why we're different, why we care, and that, Father, you would open up hearts to salvation. And right here in this church, we'd see people getting saved because of our individual witnessing and service. That we'd see people coming to know Christ and getting baptized. And that we'd see your name getting glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Chris.